0: Hello and welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Olivia. I'm sitting here with Joel Naeem and we are sitting here today with Bree Lee, the author of Beauty. Welcome, Bree. Thank you for having me.
1: Thanks so much for coming in. Um, this is such an interesting little book. I should explain to people this is uh, t- about 25,000 words. Mm-hmm. It's a lovely little, it's almost a square. Uh, it's got beautiful artwork on the cover. It's very short. It's very gifty. And I think it's uh, also a very harrowing read. <laughs>
0: a little for oh, me. It really <laughs> does pack a punch. <laughs>
1: um, so can you just tell us a little bit about what, what, you know, how this book came about and what it's about?
2: Mm. Um, so it's basically a really, really big, long personal essay. Um, and I, I tried to write the kind of thing that I really love reading, which is a combination of um, a bit of memoir slash life writing. Um, you know, when you – I love when I read something that I can really tell who has written it and, and – what position they're coming to an issue or a topic from. Um, And it also has a lot of um, social criticism, literary criticism, I guess, a bit, and philosophy. Um, And it's just all of these different, um, I guess, writing styles um, mashed into one to explore this idea of beauty. Um, And... What I was really interested in was asking a question of how we judge ourselves and judge others. And it takes place over the time in my life, basically when Eggshell Skull was just coming out. And I kind of, um, you know, no one was more surprised than I uh, by how big that book went. And I very much felt um, catapulted into the limelight in a way and really struggled to, to deal with um, the sudden increase in focus on my on me and therefore my appearance Mm -hmm. um and obviously for anyone who's read eggshell skull they would know that um questions of perfectionism and when um when motivation and drive goes so far as to become this sort of ugly masochistic thing is something that i've um grappled with before um and where that kind of self improvement tips over into self harm, that very dangerous kind of knife point that is unfortunately very common these days, um, is that that sort of tipping point is what I wanted to explore.
1: Yeah, I think that's really a really interesting way of putting it because I think there is something about reading it if you, that's particularly the early part of the mm. essay when you are talking about what all the steps you took to reach, to, to make the changes to your body that you felt you needed to make. Mm. And even though one part of my brain is thinking, um, you know, this is awful. Mm. She needs to stop. Mm. She's going to hurt herself. Mm. Another part of me is thinking,
2: oh, I wish I could do yep. that. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I wish I
1: had that level of self-control.
2: Self-discipline, mm. yep, motivation, self-control, all of it.
1: Yep. Yeah, it's a, t- it's a terrifying <laughs> thing. Thing that is in so many of our brains, I guess. Mm. Um, one of the things you, you themes, or I guess texts that you refer to quite often, is um, Marcus Aurelius. Mm. Can you tell us a bit about your relationship <laughs> with uh, Marcus?
2: Yes, <laughs> um, I really. Um, <laughs> the the tech dude bros in Silicon Valley have um, sort of uh, colonized Marcus Aurelius yeah. um, and I would like very much to wrangle stoicism back from their sweaty gripped palms um, and stoicism basically is just this you know anyone who's done philosophy 101 would would think that I'm butchering this but it's just this idea that um, you know you cannot control the crazy world that happens to you you cannot control, most of what happens um, to you in your life. What you can control is how you respond to it. Um, And you can focus on trying to um, uh, maintain enough self-discipline to be the kind of person that you, you know, sort of have respect for um, and in that sense sort of do your best within this hurricane of a life. That's what I get from Stoicism. Um, And you can see easily why philosophy like stoicism um, has been so easily co-opted into this current um, digital social media world in which optimizing the self um, and um, this neoliberal idea of self-determination and that we are all precisely um, receiving what we have worked hard to gain um, and just that you can just the farce that you can control your level of success um, and that people who currently have a lot of, you know, money and success deserve it necessarily rather than um, it being a combination as well, of course, of privilege and luck. Um, And what I sort of, um, I guess, went too far with it, I suppose, for a long time or or went a little bit the wrong way with it um, and... What am I trying to say? It's just.
1: What do you think he would make of this current era and your struggle?
2: Well, I mean, in part, it's hilarious because he just sort of hates (laughs) women and thinks that (laughs) spending too much time on your appearance is an absolute idiotic, you know, waste of whatever. Which is an interesting question in and of itself because obviously he comes from a time and place when um, you, it was absurd to have to spend that long on your image and appearance. Um, however, we live currently in a gig economy where um, the focus on the body is um, much more extreme than ever before and where we judge people more than ever before. We judge their whole selves by the one facet of their self, which is how they look. Um and so, yeah, basically, it's, it's an interesting question because the principles of Marcus Aurelius can be applied to um, questions of self-control and self-determination, um, but they're also not really built for the 21st century in many other ways.
0: And there's that idea of the ideal self that you've created. You can actu- actually never achieve that. It's always drifting away from you. Mm. And that's kind of the end goal of a lot of those, um, not only ideals, but like the things that they sell t- to us in order for us to attain them like that the, the they're based on the idea that we can never actually attain them
2: mm. that was probably one of the most valuable um kind of concepts or, or pieces of language that I got out of researching for this book and um it's that trying to get rid of that accidental idea of the second self um is something that I still use all the time so um even these days if I'm you know, look in the mirror and for whatever reason I don't like what I see or, or um, if I have a moment of kind of weakness where I where I am slipping into bad behaviours, remembering what I learnt in writing this book um, still keeps sort of saving me. Mm. And it's this idea that we all have this, yeah, this second self, this ideal self that – and for most um, women, research indicates, for example, if they could change one thing, um, it would be losing three to five kilos – and there is so much happiness and peace and comfort that we deny ourselves in the present because we think we can't possibly be the best version of ourselves until we reach what that second self looks like. Mm. Um, and for some people that will be weight, but f- you know, for, for a lot of people it might be um, any kind of sort of procedure or um, achievement or whatever. Um, and, yeah, that second self does not exist. Um, but all of the language we have around both products and sort of self-optimizing, um, really sort of build it up in our minds.
0: And in this, like, day and age, it seems even worse because we have platforms entirely dedicated to kind of – that are marketed as, like, self-creation, self-empowerment, like platforms, like Instagram. Mm. But they actually do a lot of the grunt work in perpetuating that ideal. So what became, what started – or what ostensibly seems to be, you know, something for self-expression and a happy – that like creative platform actually just becomes a driver of that mm. horrible ideal.
2: And questions of um, what my individual responsibility is within this sort of social media, media ecosystem in which we live are... Um, <laughs> that's my stomach, I'm really sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, questions around what... Uh, how I am complicit in this system that I keep complaining about was the other thing, where um, until I really forced myself to sit down and analyse and, and articulate my own behaviours within this system, um, I don't, if I didn't have to do that, I don't think I ever would have confronted how complicit in many ways I was in the thing that I supposedly hated and suffered from. Um, and that is, I guess, the other main thing that I really learned and continue to benefit from. Having written this book,
1: yeah, I think that's a really, that's a really interesting part of the essay. When you start to get to that point in, in your mm-hmm. journey, mm-hmm. where you start to realise that this cruelty that you were harming yourself, and this idea that, that you seem to get interested in in the essay is that is it possible to be um, cruel to yourself whilst also being kind to other people Mm. is it possible to have two different standards Mm. one that you apply to yourself and one that you apply to the outside world Mm. can you expand a little bit on that I thought that was fascinating yes
2: Mm. I mean this is something that I continue to be fascinated by this idea that we talk about judging ourselves by one standard and not at all judging other people by that standard so you know the classic thing being um like negative self-talk you know you you'll so many people will say, oh, I hate how I look um, in in a bikini, whatever, random inane example. Um, oh, but I don't judge other people that way, um, you know, or, or I have to be good and have a salad for lunch. Oh, but you can do whatever you want. I'm, you know, I am not convinced that it is possible to have two fundamentally different sets of um, principles and values for yourself compared to other people, and the conclusion I came to I think in the book which is where I'm still sitting at the moment is that it might be the case that um, people feel that they can judge themselves more harshly than other people but your priorities and your values are implicitly communicated to the people around you depending on what you say and how you act Um, and the phenomena of um, negative self-talk and like sort of negative um, fat shaming to the self that happens in something like um, as simple as you know oh no I have to be good because I didn't go for a run this morning those things communicate your values and priorities to the people around you Um, and that is like a really one small way of how I do think that a lot of us are more complicit than we might realize in this thing that we all collectively um, suffer underneath. Mm. And of course with social media now that's just Mm. so exacerbated because it used to be that we would get these negative ideas and standards from um, publications and from advertising. But now we all just sort of shit on each other in this much more kind of diversified um power network we're all just still doing it to each other it's so frustrating
1: yeah the, the sort of almost passive aggressive way yep. we have of communicating with each other yes. where we don't actually think we're communicating with other people mm. but we absolutely are absolutely you know are. when a, when you're sitting there no matter what your you know um body image and talking constantly about your diet or mm-hmm. what you're currently eating or you know, the fact that you are sort of advertising your own self-discipline.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely.
1: That, that, and that's, that's sort of what I was getting at when I f- first talked about reading the beginning of the, b- beginning of the book, is mm. that there is a part of that that is aspirational. Absolutely. You know? And that, so that when someone else starts talking about it, part of you is like, I should be like that. And part of you is like, I wish I was like that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's
2: so that – is, that is a huge sort of process of unlearning – That's just being, like, aware of that problem is the first step. And then once I, you know, again, once I learnt language for these issues and learnt about what I think about these concepts, I started seeing just how prevalent it is in the people around me and how much I was doing it. And it has been subsequently. And I have no doubt will continue to be a process of me unlearning those attitudes and behaviours.
0: The thing is those attitudes so often are co-opted by People that are trying to sell you something. Yes. <coughs> sorry, my, Totally. Like you brought up the idea of the Dior selling we should all be feminist T shirts. Mm. And that was just anytime I see someone wearing those, like it just like it makes you one part like proud because someone's happy to present that way in public. But it's also Dior has created this t shirt when it has a history of like, you know, perpetuating unhealthy ideals and lifestyles. And and then there's of course there's gonna be knockoffs where like mm. cheap factories like run by sweatshops are going to be producing these t-shirts for mostly white women to wear in like the western world like mm. it's just that idea that empowerment is this thing that's it's kind of become a meaningless buzzword mm. in a way like you know you can be empowered by posting your makeup free selfie on Instagram but that platform is has a vested interest in keeping you unhappy and scrolling yes so like it's really it's so insidious yep and like the like the second you sit down and think about it you're like I just want to delete everything. <laughs> but yes. then also that doesn't help at all either in a way. Mm. So like, what do we do?
2: Oh, yeah. Great question. Um,
0: <laughs> sorry. To
2: no, I, I, I really you. hope you have the answer because I'm listening very like <laughs> Um, I suppose the first thing that I, I, I want to say back to that is just when you start thinking of behaviours that you – undertake for any kind of beauty related reason, so and that can just be um fitness behaviors to to have a different body shape or it can be something as simple as um you know tinted moisturizer it can be something as full-on as um you know botox or plastic surgery any of these behaviors are ne- necessarily earning money for someone else And the question that is hardest for us to answer for ourselves, I find, is which of these behaviours are we doing because it makes us feel good compared to which of these behaviours are we doing because we feel bad if we don't do it? And so a really – an easy example to think about is people whose hair are going grey and they dye their hair back to whatever their former, um, quote marks, natural colour was compared to people who dye their hair purple. Is it the case? Can you ever really say, and sometimes it's impossible for any of us individually to draw this line accurately, but can you really say that you are dyeing your hair from grey, say back to brunette, because it makes you feel better or is it because having grey hair makes you feel bad in some way and so you have to do that activity to make you feel better again compared to somebody who dyes their hair purple because they just want to and they like how it looks and it's fun. The more I ask myself this question, the more it emerges to me that any product or process that is sold to me as natural is the opposite thereof. And like the example I give in the book is that I went through this phase where I thought um, that a skincare procedure – you know, that like sort of got rid of um, pores or or fine lines or whatever would and meant that I sort of didn't feel that I had to wear as much makeup to cover my face was a better option for a sort of more natural beauty. But now I've come full circle where actually the only reason we feel the need to change our actual skin is because we're made to feel bad about how our skin really is. And now the only type of beauty that I really trust is something like turquoise eyeshadow (laughs) and sort of stylistic choices that are, are actually about fun and style and self-expression because those are things that I can trust have been done because they make people feel good, not because they feel bad if they don't do it.
1: That's a really interesting way of mm. looking at it. I think I, about it all the time. Yeah.
0: Every time I'm getting ready in the morning because I don't like sitting in front of the mirror for like longer than 15 minutes. Yeah. Like I just, I find it boring and I just kind of want to get it all over and done with as soon as possible. So Like it's really interesting and like, I have this idea that, you know, oh, I'm free of all that. You know, like, I'm just doing this because, you know, it's what you do in the mo- when you're getting ready in the morning. But mm. you're not, like, reading this book made me realise I'm less enlightened than I thought I was. Yeah, yeah.
1: absolutely. <laughs> it's really scary.
2: It is really scary. Yeah. And I definitely still, like, struggle with it, mm-hmm. asking myself those questions all the time. Does this actually make me feel good? Or is it that I feel bad about myself if I don't do this? And, mm-hmm. I
1: mean, it's... Interesting. I don't think, uh, from memory, you don't cover this in much detail in the in the essay. But I'm curious what you think about it. And it's a difficult line to walk. But it is entangled with health in a way that yes. I think, particularly when it comes to exercise and mm. eating, as opposed mm. to mm. Uh, beauty products. Yes, yes. Where a lot of things that you do to maintain health don't actually make you feel good in the moment. <laughs> you yeah. know, like and that's a, a really and, hard question. And motivating yourself to do them sometimes is because you feel bad if you don't. Mm. And maybe you still should, mm. for, you know, because it's good for you. Mm. Uh, so there is this fi- really difficult line to walk when it comes to um, beauty and health mm. where you have to somehow do the right thing that is healthy mm. <laughs> whilst at the same time not doing things that make you look good that aren't healthy.
2: Yeah, it's really hard and for most people... it will probably and I sort of myself included even having written a book like this I'm closer now to understanding but I'm not sure I'll ever be able to truly properly delineate between how many let's say kilometers a week I go for a run where I'm doing it to some sort of imaginary point where that is because I know it keeps me healthy because I know it's good for both my mental and physical health to exercise and to sort of stay fit And where that then tips over into this, you know, post this imaginary line where actually I'm doing it because I want to maintain some body shape and I will feel bad if I get any bigger than that, for example. Mm. It is and with eating food brings me legitimately so much joy and, and and at what stage do I eat healthily simply because I know that I f- have more energy and I f- do just genuinely feel better when I eat, you know, more vegetables. And where does that then like tip over to the other side? Mm. It is It is incredibly hard. But the only thing you can do is try and think about it mm. more. The worst possible thing, both with, I think for, I'll speak for myself. The worst thing for myself, both in terms of, the body and in terms of sort of beauty products and procedures is to not question and to not critique and to accept what is being given to me. For example, it does not phase me at all if other people have really different opinions about beauty products and procedure. I don't care if people have different opinions. That's great. As long as we're talking about it and criticizing it and critiquing it and being conscious of it because the most damaging thing is that these invisible minimum standards that just collectively make us feel shit just keep silently rising, Mm. Um, which is, I think, in huge part what has happened since basically the last decade since smartphones Mm. Really exploded the way they did. Yeah, I, yeah we, I mean,
0: I wouldn't want to go through high school with a smartphone. and oh, Every day, I think such hell. I know. Yeah, like it was bad enough at the time. Yep.
1: Yeah, it's almost like millennials are now the ones <laughs> telling people to get off their phones. It feels—it's a terrifying thought. Uh, uh, yeah, I can't imagine growing up with it, and I, I think it's a terrifying prospect for my own children. But, you know, just it is something so I think about the, all the time. Yeah,
2: so many of the people who were on the ground floor in Silicon Valley when these s- sort of softwares were being developed now do not let any of their children mm. use them mm. or have any profiles or accounts on any of those platforms. It's so telling.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it really is. Um, I would love to keep talking about this because mm. it's fascinating. Um, yeah. And I think... But I think also, I don't want to cover it in too much detail because you should go and read the essay and it's wonderful. It is wonderful. Um, It's really worth reading. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. So uh, thanks so much for joining us, Brie. Thank you for having me. You can buy a copy of Beauty by Brie Lee on booktopia.com.au.
2: Thanks for listening to the Booktopia podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if your eyeballs need a workout, check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget, for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at www.booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening.